So friends, if I were a betting man, if I were a betting man, I would wager that when you got up this morning, pulled on your socks, grabbed that, that first cup of coffee, hopefully brushed your teeth, and said to yourself, you know what? I think I'm going to go to church this morning. I wager that when you made that decision, you did not imagine, not in a thousand years, that you would leave that church experience having learned a heck of a lot about eunuchs in first century Palestine. And yet, and yet, here you are, so hold on to your saddles, you're in for quite a ride. Aren't you glad you chose to come to church on this Sunday morning? So in our reading this morning from chapter 8 of the book of Acts, we come across this fascinating little story in which we meet a guy named Philip who has only recently been recruited to go out and preach and serve and spread the gospel message. In this story, we are told that prompted by an angel, Philip heads down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And along the way, we're told that he crosses path with a foreign dignitary, an Ethiopian eunuch appointed by their queen to be the head of their country's treasury. Now, understandably, I think when we hear that this eunuch is from Ethiopia, we automatically assume that he is from Ethiopia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's a pretty straightforward assumption to make, I think. Uh, so that is why it is important for us to know that in the Greek in which the New Testament is written, the word Ethiopia is actually used to refer to all points in Africa south of, get this, Egypt. Which, if you're good at geography, you know that is actually most of the continent. I, I drew a little map for us. According to the Bible, this is Ethiopia. So when we're being told that this eunuch is from Ethiopia, we're not actually be, being given any geographically useful information. Rather, what we are actually being told is that, A, this eunuch had dark skin, and so looked nothing like Philip or anybody that Philip actually knew, and that, B, they were from the very edges of the known world. So in other words, this eunuch was as foreign as foreign could be. And although it was not customary at the time for Jewish people to approach strange foreigners that they met on the road, at the behest of the Holy Spirit working in his heart, Philip did just that. And as Philip approached this foreigner's carriage, he heard the eunuch reading aloud from what? but the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And providentially, the, the eunuch at that very moment was reading some verses from actually chapter 53 of Isaiah, a chapter that reads, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now the fact that this eunuch was reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah actually tells us two more interesting things about the person. First off, it tells us that he was extraordinarily wealthy. 
because back then making scrolls was a very labor-intensive process, and just to buy the ink for that scroll alone would have cost an entire year's wages for an average person. So to be able to afford a scroll of your own means that this person was absolutely loaded. And secondly, and more importantly for our purposes, the fact that this eunuch had purchased this scroll and was reading it aloud tells us that he was a devout worshiper of the God of Israel. And no doubt he was returning to his home country after having spent Pentecost in Jerusalem. Which is to say, he was a person of deep, deep faith. But alas, here is the rub. Despite the eunuch's great wealth and status as a foreign dignitary, despite the fact that the eunuch spent a small fortune and likely several months in order to travel to Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival, despite the fact that the the eunuch spent another small fortune to acquire this scroll that they were reading so that they could study and grow in their knowledge of God, despite the eunuch's deep and obvious religious conviction as a follower of the God of Israel, Despite all of that, according to the laws of Moses as found in the book of Deuteronomy, as a eunuch, they would not have been welcomed as a full convert into Judaism. Likewise, they would not have been welcomed or allowed to worship in assembly with other Jews, even though they had traveled all that way to Jerusalem to do just that. And what is more, they would not have been permitted to so much as step foot inside the temple in Jerusalem, which you may or may not know was the epicenter of the Jewish faith. Because it was believed that that in that temple is where God's presence on earth lived. It's where God's presence resided. So even though this eunuch worshipped and loved this God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, he would have quite literally been left on the outside looking in. And then on top of that, in addition to this religious exclusion, it should be noted that at the time, eunuchs were just generally kind of looked down on, both in Israel and in the the Roman Empire more generally. So the Castration was believed to remove a man's status as male, so this eunuch was considered neither a man nor a boy nor even a woman. Rather, his gender was just somewhere in between. It was all kind of ambiguous. And in fact, the word eunuch at the time was hurled as an insult when you wanted to attack a person's masculinity. So while in their native country, becoming a a eunuch was a requisite part of serving the royal family and attaining a high-ranking position in government, from Philip's perspective as a first-century Palestinian Jew living inside the Roman Empire, this eunuch was an aberration. They were not normally someone he was, uh, he's not someone that he would normally associate with, much less ride in a carriage with, much less study scripture with. But motivated by the Holy Spirit as he was, Philip paid no heed to these traditional religious and cultural barriers. And instead, he went right up to the eunuch and inquired, 
do you understand what you are reading? To which the eunuch replied in a beautiful display of humility, how can I unless someone instructs me? The eunuch then invited Philip up into the carriage to sit with them, and Philip did just that. It went on to tell this eunuch all about Jesus and his teachings and how Jesus was the innocent sheep sent to the slaughter of which Isaiah spoke. So clearly, the eunuch was moved by what Philip had said to him, because as they're going along, the eunuch spotted a body of water and said, hey, look, there's some water. What is to stop me from being baptized? Or as some translations put it, what is to prevent me from being baptized? And the answer that the eunuch was apparently given in the moment was nothing. Nothing. There was nothing preventing this eunuch's full inclusion into the church of Jesus Christ. And so they pulled over and Philip baptized the eunuch right there on the spot. And I know what you're thinking, right? This at this very moment. You're thinking, hold on a second there, Pastor. Hold the phone, pump the brakes, shut the front door. How can this possibly be? How can the Bible be saying that someone who received genital altering surgery, thereby changing their gender, how can the Bible be saying that such a person can be fully welcomed into the Christian church? Because, after all, just this week we heard from an authority no less than the new Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, a man named Mike Johnson, a man who vocally supports the criminalization of LGBTQ relationships here in this country, a man who who openly defends state-sanctioned sterilization of trans people abroad. And that is true. Look it up. It's scary. A man who next year is scheduled to give a talk at a quote-unquote Christian anti-transgender conference to be held at that full-scale replica of the art down there in Kentucky. Of course, it's Kentucky. Just this week, didn't we hear that speaker of the house when pressed by reporters on his long history of transphobic and homophobic statements and policy proposals, didn't we hear him defend himself by saying, and I quote, I am a Bible-believing Christian. Go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's my worldview, he said. That's what I believe, and so I make no apologies for it. End quote. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, How can that possibly be? How can this both be true? Is it that the Bible pretty straightforwardly includes a story about a trans person being fully welcomed into the church of Jesus Christ? Is that true? Or is it true that the Bible wants us to hate on trans people and pass legislation to make life harder for them? Clearly, both of those things cannot be true at the same time. So, Pastor, which one is it? Hmm. Which brings us to today's takeaway, which is a a double whammy because it is simultaneously a a constitutional point and a biblical point. You're getting a lot of bang for your buck this morning. We're all about good values here at Hillside Community Church. And our point this morning 
is this. Here in America, by virtue of our Constitution, we live in what is a, a relatively free country. And in this relatively free country of ours, you are free to hate whomever you want. For whatever asinine reason that you want to hate them, you are free to do that. It's true. You're free, for instance, to, to hate trans people for being trans. You are free to hate gay people for being gay. You are free to hate black people for being black. You're free to hate Jewish people for being Jewish and Muslim people for being Muslim. You're free to hate immigrants for being immigrants and refugees for being refugees. You're free to hate homeless people for being homeless. You're free to hate drug addicts for being addicted to drugs. And of course, you are free to hate Mike Johnson for being a bigoted little man who was far better left in obscurity. But what you are not free to do, at least with even a modicum of integrity or honesty or biblical literacy, what you are not free to do is to pretend that that hatred that you are spewing so freely is the natural outpouring of your biblically informed Christian faith. Because time and again, when we go back to the foundational stories of our faith, stories like the one we read today, and remember, we are working our way through the book of Acts, a book that chronicles the very start of the Christian church, thereby making it definitionally a foundational story of our faith. But time and again, when we return to these foundational stories, what we find in them is not bigotry and hate, but time and again, we find this radical, radical welcome and inclusion and love, period. And I don't want you to take my word for that because I'm paid to get up here and say things that makes my motives suspect to begin with. And I certainly don't want you to take Mike Johnson's word for it either. But at the same time, I'm going to invite you to do exactly what he said. Go pick a Bible up off the shelf and actually read it. Actually read the stories of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read it, read it up. And if you do that, I 100% guarantee you that if anyone anyone ever asked you the same question that was asked of Philip, is there anything to prevent me from being baptized? Is there anything to prevent me from being fully welcomed into the, fully welcomed rather, into the loving embrace of God, into the full inclusion of the church of Jesus Christ? Your answer to them will be nothing. There is absolutely nothing to prevent that. Friends, in the name of Jesus, in the name of love, may it be so. Mm -hmm.